Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Munson is the New York Times and international best-selling author of the novel Willow's Grove and the memoir, This Is Not the Story You Think It Is, A Season of Unlikely Happiness. Her writing has been published in nine countries, and she's been featured in magazines and newspapers around the world. From her home in Montana, Laura leads the Haven Writing Retreats, and she speaks and teaches widely on the topics of empowerment, creative self-expression, and the language of change. Laura, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. It's great to be here, Lynn. Thanks for having me. It's such an honor to speak with such a well-published author and um, live a little vicariously through you. And so I want to start at the beginning and ask you where your journey began and when were you bitten by the writing bug? Oh, that's a great question. I love answering that question. I have been writing since I was a little girl and I have journals that go back to fourth grade in my office closet. And, you know, I, I did it, I think, as a way of processing life. You know, it was how it was like my refuge. It's where I felt safe to be able to express myself any way I wanted. And little by little, uh, around, oh, I'd say my senior year in college, I realized that it was more than just about creative self-expression, that, that I had you know, a true obsession with the written word. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started learning my craft. And that was 1988. So I've been writing ever since. And I've got all sorts of unpublished books and, you know, a few that are really good <laughs> that I hope to get published. Uh, I've got about eight books that are ready to go. Um, oh, and wow. uh, I'm writing two books right now. So oh, uh, I like to say it's my practice, my prayer, my meditation, my way of life, and sometimes my way to life. Oh, I love it. That's a really beautiful saying. So I have to, of course, go to your 2009 New York Times Modern Love column, which I've read about how your husband came to you seemingly out of the blue and said, I don't love you anymore. I'm not sure I ever did. I mean, wow, like to experience that and then to write about it and then to catch the attention of a publisher and begin this best-selling journey. Like, tell me about that. Well, that's a really long story, but the short <laughs> version, the short version of it is that fiction is my true love. And that's why I was so pleased to um, publish my novel, Willow's Grove, this March. Um, mm-hmm. And boy, when I read that book, wrote that book, never did I believe the subject would be so timely, which is basically four women answering the question, so now what? <laughs> which we're all wow. asking right now during this yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Um, but but I as I said, you know, writing is really my way of navigating life. And so during that difficult time in my life, um, I wrote my way through that marital crisis, never thinking that I would end up publishing it because I wasn't used to writing memoir. I had written short um, short pieces. Uh, in my nonfiction voice, personal essays, but you know, that seems so deeply private to me. But when I finished it, uh, and um, the marital crisis came up for air, it eventually needed to end. Um, I I ran it by my husband, and he was open to it. You know, Hmm. I I really focused hard on not vilifying him or exposing him. It was really about my mind and how it both serves and sabotages me and how 
I needed to gain new awareness of that by doing this writing. So I wrote this, the short version of it uh, because I thought it would be a great match for the Modern Love column. I already had an agent. The book was already done. And I knew that I needed a, a larger platform uh, before we started to send it out to editors. And they took it. And I had been rejected by Modern Love plenty of times. It's very, very difficult to get published in that column. And to date, it's the number two most read essay in the history of the column. And they, they put it on their podcast. And, um, and I owe Dan Jones at Modern Love the start of my career. So then I got to work with Amy Einhorn, who's one of the best editors there is. She edited The Help and Big Little Lies and all sorts of other best-selling books. And that was in 2009. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I, between Amy and Dan, um, you know, those are the people who were the angels at my table. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were so dignified in that. And I, it just, you know, was such a beautiful piece to read. And um, I went through a divorce when my kids were little. And I remember writing some essays, none of which have seen the light of day. And my writing coach and mentor was like, you need to be nice about him. Like you might be hurting now and you might be, you know, uh, blaming him, but it's both of you. And like, it was sort of a wake up call to me. And I realized there was no sympathy in my writing and that it wasn't relatable. And so um, it was such a good lesson. And I I read yours and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so perfect and dignified. And I loved it. So um, way to go with that. And I I know it's a hard topic to talk about. So I want to pivot to Willow's Grove. And you have two best-selling books, which is phenomenal, um, that have been published in addition to all the others waiting to be published. But, you know, what has been the response to Willow's Grove? And, you know, how do you feel about it now that it's done? It's sort of like, I don't know about you, but when I have written a book, it's it's the anticipation and um, the expectation, the excitement of it. And then once it's out, it's like I'm writing the next book, even if I'm promoting that book for a while. And so, you know, how does it feel to you and what has been the response? Well, you know, during this pandemic, I think people are reading more and more. And I think that the fact that it takes place in Montana creates sort of a respite. You know, you, you write a lot about pausing and pivoting and, mm-hmm. and, um, and that's those are two of my big messages too and that's what the women in the book do they take a break from their life they're all at major crossroads moments and each of them is staring down the barrel of you know so now what and they decide to come together so it's a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend and tell each other their stories what was supposed to happen what actually happened so that they can help themselves find the answer to So Now What? And what I hope is that people are reading this book and starting the movement I want it to start because Mm -hmm. I want people to say, I need this. I need to be with people who will listen to my story. I need to be having the conversations that so many of us aren't having. Um, And so in terms of the experience of it, uh, when I was out promoting it on the road, and I'll be out again um, when things settle, we have to believe they will. Um, yes, yes. I I loved not being the main character. I, I've I've fallen so in love with these four women, and I I've been working on that book for eight years, and it was so amazing to watch the message take flight, you know, in people's hearts. And I was on the East Coast and New York and Boston and Chicago and Minneapolis. Then I had to, to cut the book tour, sadly, short and come home due to the COVID virus. But I fully plan on doing much more promotion for it. And I again, I love it because while this is not the story you think it is, helped a lot of people know that they're not alone, um, knowing that there was a real woman out there going through that time of her life. Willis Grove you know, I'm just its messenger, <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. And so I feel like um, 
I, I feel like the movement really is going to happen because people will value gatherings like that even more. Intentional gatherings where you're not with the people in your daily life, you know, that might judge you or or take you personally. You know, this is a, a different kind of gathering. I'm calling it a bridge community. And that's what I think people are going to be really longing for. And I think my mm. final point about that is that what inspired it are my Haven writing retreats that I've been leading for the last eight years. I've watched over a thousand people from all sorts of different demographics gather in these small intimate groups for the express intention of sharing their heart language with one another, whether or not they're writers. And that's what I, I, I know Willa's Grove captures, that heart language language that we all seek. You know, it's it's interesting. And I was I was going to ask you about Haven in, um, in a minute, and I'm going to, but I also wanted to circle back to something you just said, which was about um, asking, so now what? Which I think is a really courageous question. And um, really taking time, you know, taking the gift of time to figure out who you are and what you want to do and what your life is about is a really brave step to take. So, I mean, do you did you intend it to be like a daring um, sort of a, a soul expression for your characters or was it just the necessary next step for them? Well, you know, it's funny because when I set out to write that book, I, I was returning to my love of fiction. That's what I've been working on um, for, you know, however many years I've been writing is, is our, our, our novels. And I wanted to figure out how I could capture that magic of those bridge communities in fiction, um, rather than having it be prescriptive or like a self-help book. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really write self-help, although I'm writing a book about self-expression right now that I suppose could be considered self-help. Um, but the first time I wrote it, I think my heart was so attached to having this retreat be as magical as Haven, even though the book is not in any way a writing retreat. They use some writing in it mm -hmm. to help them move forward in their lives. But it, it's not about a writing retreat, but I still wanted to capture that magic, I think, as the retreat founder and leader. Mm -hmm. And by the time I finished the first draft, I just, I thought I need to take a shower now. <laughs> <laughs> so prescriptive and gross. And the, these women are all totally signed up for it, you know, from the get-go. So then I got to know the, the characters and really let them tell the story and um, started all over again. And then it took me about 19 drafts to get it right. And, oh my gosh. and so they're not, they're not showing up like you might show up for therapy. They're showing up for connection and community and, and they resist it. You know, two of them have their eye on the exit sign, you know, for like the first <laughs> 100 pages. And I think that's much more realistic. These women, I think, are, are very real in how they, how they look into the conflict and find the heart of conflict, which is something I also teach at Haven. So it's not like daring. I think that, that they really all feel so desperate and, and helpless and alone. And I think that's what happens for a lot of people when we're going through these big crossroads moments because there's shame involved, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like we choose to get married. We choose or to, you know, who our partner is. We choose to have children. We choose our careers. And those are often the things that bring us so much shame that we isolate. And these women really are, when I say staring down the barrel, they're not suicidal, but they really know that they have got to figure out what's going to come next in their lives and that they can't do it alone anymore. And that's why this, the recipe for it works so well. You know, it's that I invite you, you invite a friend, you invite a friend. So yeah. each of you has one 
friend that they feel safe with. That's really beautiful. I can't wait to read it. It's on the top of my stack. So we have to talk about Haven. I want to hear all about it. Um, In fact, when I first heard about you was from my friend Darcy Smith. Give her a shout out here. Um, Actually, Darcy Smith Swisher, I should say, because I've known her a lot longer than she's been married. But um, she went to one of your Haven programs like I think six years ago and just was raving. And so I want to hear what Haven is for our listeners and how it came to be and, and, you know, what the opportunities are. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks for asking. There's, that's the thing I love talking about most. Um, Darcy um, has been a great help and she's a wonderful writer too. And um, so I was so grateful when she connected us. Um, Haven, you know, it was, it was born in post-divorce reinvention because mm-hmm. I wanted to keep my house and my children's lives stable. And I really, you know, had only been a writer and a mother and, you know, had worked odd jobs over the year, but years. But I was lucky that um, I wasn't responsible for a regular income. And so out of the blue, as so many people going through uh, divorces have experienced, I had to ask myself, what can I do that I'm good at? You know, I mean, I truly have sat at that intersection of heart and mind and craft for years and years and years. And I knew that so many people have a hard time doing that. And the book had come out, the memoir had come out. It was a New York Times bestseller and an international bestseller. And so a lot of people felt an intimate connection with me because the book is written as if to a really good friend. That's what a lot of people have told me. And so um, I put it on Facebook one day, just thinking, you know, I'd spoken at these big women's conventions, sometimes 2,000 people at a time. And I kept hearing over and over again, I want to write. I want to write. But, you know, and then all the refusals would come. But Mm -hmm. who do I think I am? Or it's self-indulgent at best, or I'm not Mm -hmm. creative. And I thought there's a real hole in our society that needs permission to be able to find your unique voice and get it out there, whether it's for your eyes only or something that you want to publish. Mm-hmm. And so I put it on Facebook. Hey, anybody want to come on a writing retreat with me in Montana? And in two hours, 24 people signed up, Lynn. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. And I was not a teacher. I had no <laughs> idea where I was going to lead it. I just know, know I knew that Montana had been a great teacher for me and mm-hmm. that people wanted to come to our beautiful valley um, and, and take that break from their life. So um, I figured it out and it, it's now ranked in the top writing retreats in the country. Like mm. I said, over a thousand Haven alums, and I now have six different programs. Um, right now, they're on hold um, mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. Um, but I, I, I do have a really strong Haven community, and um, and and try to mentor, uh, be a mentor to people in the, in that community. I've now taken right now because of Willis Grove and the theme of it. So now what? Um, I've taken that work online. And I've been doing one day workshops for people Mm. who are not writers at all. You don't have to be a writer in any way to do these, but as long as you can hold a pen in your hand, you can do this work and people are getting a lot out of it. But I am planning the minute we can gather again safely to um, lead my fall retreats. I'm hoping I can lead those. Mm -hmm. And then my 2021 uh, calendar, hopefully will be something that I can, I can do because I miss it. It's an incredible (laughs) honor to be able to do this work with people. And some people are working on books. I've had best-selling authors come. Some people are journalists. Some people only, you know, have written for their job. Um, And some people just want to get back into writing in their journals again. So it really, the programs meet you where you need to be met. That's very, very cool. So we will put in the show notes um, links as to how people can find you and um, make sure that they can 
sign up for newsletters and information and when the programs start again, get their name on the list, which is very, very cool. And I probably will add my name too. So <laughs> that's very cool. Um, so you mentioned, you know, we've talked a little bit about this special time that we're in with the pandemic and um, you're a mom of two young adults now, and I know you've been sheltering in place with them for some time. Um, how has your identity as a mom changed as your children have grown up and left home? Like, have you stumbled upon a new definition of self in that time? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I share this very publicly. In fact, I've, I've been working on a memoir about it. Um, I've had a really hard time with empty nest. And I think that that is something that a, a lot of women and men are feeling and just not talking about it because it, it is one of those sorts of shame pieces. You know, I mean, that was something when I was out on the road, I was taking a poll. What are the top major um, crossroads moments in our collective and empty nest was one of them. I and have to tell you, Laura, that I am dreading it. And I have, you know, my, my oldest just graduated high school and is going to St. Olaf college where your son is. And I, I mean, I'm close. I have four kids and I'm really close with them and I adore them. And I was like preparing myself. And then this pandemic hit and now we're together all the time. We're playing games, board games at night. We're cooking together, you know, lots of meals together. And so it's even, we're even closer than we were. And so now I feel like when he does go, it's going to be even harder than I thought. Like I was preparing myself, but we had this well-oiled machine. We were so busy that I felt like, okay, I can weather it. And now I'm like, I'm really nervous. I feel like it's going to be even harder, you know? So I can totally relate to what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, again, this is like, these are the kinds of conversations that the women in Willis Grove have, the ones that they're not having, the ones that we need to be having. And we need to find safe circles to have them. You know, yeah. it's not just something to share in the grocery store, buying broccoli, you know, that your heart is breaking over empty nests. Because what if somebody makes some comment that just, you know, shatters your heart right there in the, you know, in the produce yeah. section, yeah. you know, um, for me, uh, yeah, they're both back and and we don't know each other this way anymore, you know, because really? we know each other on holidays or um, when I visit them at school or, you know, or, you know, or if I visit them in the city where they live, um, my daughter's out of college and we're living in San Francisco. They're both here now. And we're really, it's been really amazing to get to know adult children, my adult children. And they're young adults still, but they, they're grown up. You know, they're six foot tall and they know, <laughs> they know how to you know, make scrambled eggs now. And um, so, and so I think just any advice to your, to your listeners um, based on your question would be that one of the things that got me through this last winter when I was alone um, for the first time in my life, that was even more than empty nest. It was just being alone. Yeah. I, it, it was leading my retreats, identifying myself as a, as a teacher, and and also writing as much as I could. And so that really is something that going through all those years of raising them, I held that close to my heart that no matter what, I would have my writing. Yeah. And then on top of it now, the surprise chapter is that I'm also, you know, a teacher and re retreat facilitator and editor and writing coach. So. Yeah. Those things I think are important to cultivate throughout your motherhood so that when that time of your motherhood is over, you you can still feel productive and creative and, and proud of yourself, you know? And, yeah. and that's something I think a lot of people lose themselves in their motherhood only to get to empty nest and feel like they have to just like start all over again. And I don't want that for people. So that's another thing I really love about Haven is that whether or not people want to be writers, they're finding their voice and what makes it unique and essential. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's a real gift. That's that's priceless. If you can be connected with your creativity in that way, to me, that goes a long way and is priceless. It's so true. I mean, finding your voice is not just about writing a book. It's about using your voice to affect change, to um, send important messages and ideas out into the world. And we all have that ability and we just have to believe that our voice is strong enough and important enough to to, to be heard, to, to have people turn and say, I need to listen to what this person is saying. So it's amazing the work that you're doing. And, and I hope people will check out the Haven writing retreats and programs. So I have to ask how you structure your days. Like, do you write every day? Do you journal? You know, what gives you meaning um, at this time? Like, do you have a structure or does each day sort of ebb and flow? Well, you know, every writing teacher answers and every writer answers that question differently. There's a, there's a school of thought that we should write every day. And I disagree with it um, because what I'm trying to set myself up for as a writer um, and my clients um, is is the feeling of completion and fulfillment and sometimes relief from writing. And, and you might not be able to do that every day. And so if you set it up that, you know, you're only um, successful, whatever that means, um, if you write every day, then you're going to end up falling short and feeling guilty and maybe stop altogether. And so I tell people, set yourself up for the feeling of completion and fulfillment based on who you are and your what your life is like and what your personality is like and what your responsibilities are. And that might be really different in the summer if you're a mother than, you know, during the school year. Or, you know, I have some people who are single parents sharing custody of, of ch- their children. And so they're like one week on, one week off. Mm-hmm. And the week off you know, can be really heartbreaking. And so I like, I'm saying, find a, a, a writing protocol that works for you based on your life. And I've also always said, um, I ra- I'm raising flexible children. And I think I've raised a flexible writer in myself too. Hmm. So, um, so I don't, so I'm very kind to myself. That's something we work on at Haven about just how cruel we are in our minds, um, the inner critic. And so many of us aren't even aware of how we speak to ourselves in our minds. And so what I'm really calling for is to, is to create an inner champion that accepts you for who you are instead of how someone else does it or how you think you, you should do it. Like, let's get rid of that word and accept who we are and, and lovingly show up for our, our creative self-expression on the page. And to me, that's only going to beget the feeling of, of what I'm after, which is completion and fulfillment. And, and, you know, if I can be inspiring to somebody, that's great, but it's got to start by bridging to yourself first. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for that because I'm realizing, you know, that I, I'm consciously um, beat up on myself when I don't write and I need to stop that. And so I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, it's okay. You know, if I write one day and I don't write the next, that's okay. And I have to forgive myself. And so thank you for bringing that realization to the fore. I really appreciate it. Um, Well, I'm working with a lot of people right now outside of Haven and doing consulting. And that's something, you know, if I've got you for five days, I can really help you cultivate that. But, But even just for an hour session, I think people are getting a lot out of it. And I'm, I'm only doing this during the pandemic because then I'll be getting back to Haven and I have a bunch of new clients and it's just really wonderful to be able to see how people are using writing to get through this time too. We need it. In fact, I do a a free Friday evening, uh, one hour journal writing class. That's, that's a, it's a practice that I teach and I I have over 200 people that show up for that. And it's free. I know people need it. People need 
it just so happens that one of my skill sets is something that's really in the collective right now, and I'm happy to be able to help. It's really great. I can't wait to to read all the the Corona Chronicles that come out of this and all the new enlightenment that we have. So that's amazing. So Laura, I usually finish my interviews with guests by asking what permission slip they would give to our listeners. And that's just sort of their unique way of um, telling our listeners to give themselves permission to to explore what their meaning is and how they can live and work by with their purpose as their as their guiding light, their compass. And so I wanted to ask you what permission slip you would offer to our listeners um, to get themselves on the path toward identifying their meaning and living with purpose. I love that. I love that you're doing this work, Lynn. Thank you. Um, this is so important. Well, this is something that I share at Haven and also in my workshops. And it is the permission slip I gave myself when I went out on the road for the first time because that 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 memoir this is not the story you think it is, had me on Good Morning America and all sorts of big publicity. And it was it was something very new for me, as I explained before, mm-hmm. um, to be the main character. It was just never anything I thought would happen. And suddenly, it, you know, it, it, I promoted that book for about six years because it was published, you know, all around the world. Mm-hmm. And so this is the this is the permission slip I gave myself when I went out and it helped me. I give myself permission to be exactly who I am and have it be easy. I give myself permission to be exactly who I am and have it be easy. And a lot of people are throwing around that phrase, find your voice. It's a lofty claim. And what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. And the way I teach it is that you know that you're in your in your voice or in your flow when there's ease. Not that it's necessarily easy because it might be very difficult material that you're exploring. Mm-hmm. But if there's ease then that's when you know you're in your voice, ease and flow. And so um, I applied that to my life. I apply it to my writing um, and I apply it to my teaching. I give myself permission to be exactly who I am and have it be easy. And that always feels like a big sigh of relief. So I hope that helps your listeners. I love that. I love that. We will share that widely. And I hope everybody will take that permission and be who they're meant to be and uh, not fight against it. So Laura Munson, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the Make Meaning podcast. Um, I'm so honored to know you and to share your work with our listeners. And I hope a lot of them connect with you after this. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks for the work you're doing and how you're showing up in the world. We, uh, the world needs more of you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.